to keep looking into the Gospel of John, the one that he wrote so that we may believe these things are true, and by knowing, have life. We'll be in chapter 6. We'll look at verses 30 through 40, where Jesus makes the first of his six uh, major I am statements by saying that I am the bread of life. And we will begin, as we do every week, by looking and reading through those 10 verses of John chapter 6, 30 through 40. And as has been the habit of us since I had my eye trouble, someone else will read because I miss words (laughs) trying to read my small print. And I'm unwilling to submit to the idea that I need a large print Bible. Actually, I'm not sure they make one big enough for me at this point. And so Randy is going to come and read John chapter 6, 30 through 40. Therefore they said to him, What sign do you show then that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the desert, and it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I told you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All whom the Father gives me with come to me, and he who comes to me I will never cast out. For I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who has sent me, that of all whom he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. This is the will of him who sent me. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Thank you, Randy. Let's pray. O Lord, thank you for the glorious gift of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and thank you for the beauty and the glory that it brings to us for the hope of salvation and the hope of resurrection. And Lord, we pray now that as we look into your word during this time that you would resurrect the hearts and minds of our souls so that we would see and hear and believe. And I pray, Lord, and ask that during this this time that you would put the words in my mouth that need to be spoken, the words of life and the words of hope for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So it seems best here in the sixth chapter of John on this Resurrection Sunday to sort of take a second and just back up and go, okay, what's going on here? As John begins this section, 6, 7, and 8, with the I am statements, it's easy to kind of lose the big picture. And so let's just start with what is the purpose of John's gospel? 
He tells us the whole purpose of it in chapter 20, verse 31. He says this, starting in verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. So his whole purpose for writing the Gospel of John is that we can believe this guy is really real. Yeah, these things really took place that are written in this book, and it is so that you may have life in his name. So then, all right, now let's just kind of narrow it down just a touch. What's the purpose of chapter 6? Why does John write John chapter 6 the way he does? Because John is trying to demonstrate how Jesus is greater than Moses and how Jesus is, in fact, equal to God. If we go back to chapter 5, where he heals the lame man at the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath, he openly stated this by saying, My father is working until now, and I am working. John chapter 5, verse 17. Then we get back into chapter 6, and then John shows us that Jesus is the bread of life, not just the giver of better bread. By doing the gift or the miracle of feeding the 5,000 at the beginning of John chapter 6, he illustrates how Jesus is the bread of life. And then comes the interaction between Jesus and the crowd from the next day where he explains to them that he is the bread of life. And all of this that's been building chapters 4, 5, and 6 have been building to the beginning here of the first I am statement. The six I am statements by Jesus are not just simple I am statements. These are equality statements. Statements of equality to the self-revealed name of God that God himself gave Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God says, I am who I am. Which from that moment forward in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, he was simply known as I am. The great God of the universe who created all things is simply known by the name I am. And here, starting in chapter 6, and this statement of I am the bread of life, Jesus begins to express his equality with the Father. And then it raises the question, so where does he get the authority to claim equality with God? Who gave you? I mean, the, look, the Pharisees' question in chapter 5 is legitimate. Who gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus said to them, from John chapter 5, verses 16 through 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. His authority comes directly from the Father. And the evidence that this is truly his authority given to him by the Father are the works that he does. The healing of a lame man on the Sabbath, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, the turning water into wine. All of these are the evidences that he is who he says he is. 
But from this passage in John chapter 4 by itself, there are two very important points in this passage. First, Jesus is already making statements that have riled the religious leaders because they know to make such statements is to make yourself equal with God. Jesus is claiming and the Pharisees recognize and understand that Jesus is claiming to be I am before Jesus ever makes any of the I am statements. The second point is that Jesus is making it clear by whose authority he can make these claims about his identity. Make no mistake, he is defining his identity as the son and the son quality to the father. In verses 22 and 23 that I just read, for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Jesus is as clear as he can be. The father has given him authority to do and say all that he is saying. And Jesus in his own words, not a disciple or a fanboy. This isn't somebody else. This is Jesus himself in his own words is identifying himself as the son of the father. The article is important. The. There is no other. It isn't just a simple son. It is not just a simple father. It is the father, the one and only, and the son, the one and only. This is no kind of just mere itinerant teacher with great wisdom and insight in the Old Testament. This is no popular miracle worker. This man of flesh and blood is identifying himself as the Son of God. Everyone standing there that day in Jerusalem who hear him make these statements understand what Jesus is claiming about himself. Jesus is telling everyone, I am the Son of God. I am one with him. This is insanity. Either, look, okay, I mean, you, if you're one of the disciples, this is, has to be running through your mind. Okay, you just really opened up a can of worms by saying what you just said. You better have the goods to back it up, Jesus, or we're all dead. Because they're going to kill all of us. They just won't kill you. They won't be happy until we're all dead for following you. Because they want to make an example of all of us for being stupid enough to follow a false Messiah. And Jesus is identifying himself not just as the one with God, but as the one who has the authority to give eternal life. What? You have the authority to give eternal life. See, in, in my mind, this is the strongest statement of his claim to deity and equality with God. No one except the God of heaven and earth, creator and sustainer of the universe, can give eternal life. I don't care how much I love you, I can't give you eternal life. I can't even give myself eternal life. And I certainly love myself more than I love you. Only God can give eternal life. And to make such a claim about his identity, Jesus must be either a liar a lunatic, or he is Lord. You can't be an itinerant teacher with great wisdom and claim to be equal with God. You're either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. You can't just be some miracle worker 
trying to encourage people to follow good things and do the right thing if you claim to be equal with God. We love Jesus, but we got to deal with the reality. Either he's Lord or he's a lunatic or a flat-out liar. And we all have to wrestle with that and come to the conclusions of what it is we believe and why we believe it. As for my part, I'm convinced that he is Lord because no one can do the things they do No one can do the things he does apart from being the Son of God, equal with the Father. And now we come to this whole statement of being the bread of life. This is even more insane to say such a thing. Do you understand? When he says, I am the bread of life, he is saying that your continued existence into eternity comes from feeding on me. And remember, the first thing we have to remember about this incident here in the little village of Capernaum when he says, I am the bread of life, that it's taking place during Passover. That the exodus from Egypt and the Passover celebration with all its emphasis on unleavened bread and God's miraculous provisions, all are that at the forefront of everyone's mind when he says, I am the bread of life. Wait, you're going to say that right in the middle of Passover with all the stuff about the manna and the parting of the Red Sea and the unleavened, all that stuff, and you're going to say you're the bread of life? Are you crazy? I mean, you better be, you better have the goods to back this up if you're going to say something like that in this moment. And all the miraculous provisions of God, all of this is so much to try and grasp and keep our minds wrapped around at this moment. Remember, understand, reading the Gospel of John is like reading a great novel of history and literature. It's like Alexander Dumas, the, the, the Count of Monte Cristo. It's, it's like reading Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities. You have this massive story with so many subplots and lines that you have to try to keep track of. And that's the same thing when we read through the Gospel of John. Here he is, trying, us trying to keep track of all of this, can be just too much to try to absorb, too much to keep up with. And unfortunately, time doesn't permit me to go all the way back to Exodus and read chapters 12 through 17. But it is worth your time to do so, to keep grasp of what it means for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life in the middle of Passover. The people, for their part, they understand and get the reference Jesus is making. Their responses make it absolutely clear. We know this because their response to Jesus in verse 31 Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That response comes from Psalm 78, which is about God's saving work during the Exodus. Everything in Psalm 78 is about God's work and his provision and miraculous saving the people of Israel during the Exodus. And they understand that. And so they understand his connection to the Passover, the Exodus, and his statement that I am the bread of life. Yet, stunningly, even though they understand all this, they missed it. They missed it because they put their faith in the agent and not the God who empowered the agent. Their response shows that their faith was in Moses, not in the God of Moses. They had lost the reality of who their Savior was. And then their response to give us this bread always in verse 34. 
This response parallels the woman at the whale in chapter 4, where she said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. John chapter 4, verse 15. These responses by John are intentionally linked here because the bread and the water became symbols of God's provision and life-sustaining work for his people. Throughout the course of Israel history, from the Exodus forward, water and bread just became symbols of life and God's provisions for life. They became symbols of even the provisions for eternal life after death. Often in Jewish writings, wisdom was portrayed in the symbolism of receiving water and bread. Unfortunately, this crowd, like their ancestors in the wilderness, they wanted the provision of physical substances, not the provider himself. This is why Jesus responds the way he does to their request. Then what sign will you give us that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? What? Are you kidding me? Wasn't it just yesterday that you were standing out on a desolate hillside with nothing for miles around and he miraculously fed all seven to 10,000 of you with just five little loaves and two fishes? And you ask today, what sign are you going to give me to say that you are the bread of life? Are you kidding me? No, they're not. As stunning as it is, that sign isn't enough to satisfy that Jesus is who he says he is. And then Jesus makes these statements about everyone that comes to him, he will keep. And for John, for the gospel, for John in the gospel of John, as he writes it, to come to Jesus is more than just to investigate a curiosity, right? Lots of people come to the scriptures. Lots of people come to the gospels because they're curious about this person, Jesus, that they've heard. Nicodemus was curious about who this Jesus was and came to see him at night. Herod was curious about this Jesus character and longed for a chance to see him. Lots of people were curious about Jesus and wanted to find out about this curiosity or to see if this is someone that they wanted to listen to. But that's not what John means when he uses the phrase, come to Jesus. When John uses that phrase, he's using it in a very specific way of differentiating those who seek to follow him and live according to what he is doing, as opposed to those who are curious, but ultimately decide to walk away from Jesus. For John to come to Jesus, as Jesus means it here, is to be a statement of eternal security. Our eternal destiny is secure because it is God the Father and Jesus who hold us and our eternal state secure, not ourselves. As I get older and don't remember things as well as I used to, I'm very grateful that I don't have to be responsible for my own eternal security because I would lose it. And I do a really good job of keeping up with my phone and my keys and other stuff, but I lose it more often than I used to. And if I had to keep hold of my eternal security, I would lose that as well. Praise God that it is secure in the hands that have been pierced with the nails. And what does our eternal future look like that Jesus is promising us? He gives us this answer that on the last day, he will raise us up from the grave just as he was raised up from the grave. That is the promise that death 
even in its sting, will not have victory over us. It will temporarily have victory, but it won't last. It won't last at all. And we will be raised up to new life with him, just as he was. And his resurrection is the evidence that he can actually do this. Well, those of you who know me know what's coming next. So what? Thank you very much for this stimulating intellectual exercise into the understanding of ancient Middle Eastern cultures and Arabic linguistics, but so what? So what? Great that Jesus rose from the dead, but so what for me? Well, he says, I am the bread of life. He says that the only way we can enjoy eternal life is to eat the bread that he gives us, which is himself. So I simply ask you this question in response to so what? How is Jesus your bread of life? How is he your bread of life? Do you simply see him as the crowd did that day, as someone whose provision you want, but not so much him for yourself? Remember why Jesus makes faith in him so much more important than what he gives us in this world. It's because true life is so much more than just what we experience in this world. That doesn't mean the experiences in this world are meaningless. Not at all. They're extremely meaningful. But we forget that this world isn't all there is. There is an entire life beyond death. And Jesus understands that so well that he gives us the hope of what that life after death can be like. If we put our trust in him as our bread of life. Now, if that question wasn't challenging enough for you, I have another one. What do you want most out of life right now? What do you want most out of life right now? Think about that for a second. What's your answer? Are you willing to give up Jesus to get it? Are you willing to give up Jesus to get what you most want? I know this confrontational question is not comfortable, but well, I had to wrestle with it this week, so you do too. See, it was brought home to me in a very powerful way this week. I was expressing to a set of friends earlier this week how I was tired of hurting and just wanted it to stop. I just wanted it to stop. I'm done. And that statement was made after acknowledging. I even acknowledged to them before saying that, that I understood that all the physical difficulties I have experienced were from the Father for a purpose. Even understanding and believing it, I still said I just wanted to stop. I just wanted to stop. One of the friends handed me a bottle representing the physical pain relief in one hand, and they handed me a Bible in the other. So I'm holding this bottle that represents physical pain relief, and I'm holding the Bible that represents Jesus. And I was asked to make a choice. Do you want Jesus or do you want pain relief? Because if you ask him to take the cup away, he often will. But to take the cup away, just as Jesus asked for him to take the cup away in the Garden of Gethsemane, but to take the cup away means you give up all that you're going to receive from the Father by drinking from this cup. So when we see it in that light, choice is not that difficult. 
because I know, just as all of you know, pain relief is temporary anyway. It won't last. It'll be back. So why would I trade something so temporary as pain relief for Jesus? Will you look to Jesus for eternal life? Look, all of us, you and I, will receive from our Father in this life and the next is worth all that we endure to walk with Jesus. Because it is so rich, so joyous, so full of everything good when I am with my Jesus, my Savior, and my Redeemer. And so it is for you, my brothers and sisters. Everything so rich. You know what it's like to have just 30 seconds of pure, uninterrupted fellowship with our Savior. And it's all worth everything we have to walk through and endure to walk with Jesus. He is the bread of life. Let me have a slice of that bread and enjoy it. Oh Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the way you have provided for us through Jesus. Thank you for loving us this much that you would do everything that had to be done for Jesus to die on the cross and be raised from the dead just so that we can be reconciled to you and enjoy intimate fellowship with you, our Father in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for persevering and enduring to the end and finishing everything that the Father gave you to do and for loving us enough to save us and redeem us and reconcile us. And I pray, O oh Lord, that by the power of your Spirit present here in this room with all of us and in within us, that we would walk in the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.